0: Thank you for joining us today on Geezers of Gear, episode 52. Today on the episode, we have Pio Nahum, the former CEO of Clay Packy for many, many years. Should be a great episode. We also have on the intro, Eric Loder with elation talking about all kinds of great things and also giving us a little bit of insight on Mr. Pio Nahum. So thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoy. Today's podcast is brought to you by Elation Professional. Elation is pleased to be expanding its Fuse series of LED fixtures with the Fuse Profile, designed to be the perfect fusion of performance, features, and value. The Fuse Profile houses a full blackout framing system and full spectrum RGBMA color mixing engine with high CRI capable of covering a wide array of precision lighting applications and already an award winner the full featured fuse profile can help lighting professionals achieve their creative vision to complete any job big or small within budget for more information on the fuse profile or any elation product please visit elationlighting.com Me, where was it? Where was what? Yeah. You you said yeah. you were gonna do it. You threatened last week. You didn't do it. Come on, Derek's man. On I was waiting call. for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Episode fifty two. We have a left coaster with us this morning, so shh, shh. Don't say anything bad about the left coast. Or Democrats or, you know, anything liberal or any of that stuff. Earthquakes. Wildfires. Yeah, don't talk about any of that stuff because we have Eric Loader with us this morning. Good morning, Eric.
1: Good morning, guys.
0: Bright and early, 6.30. This guy's a trooper. He gets up early so he can set us straight because he says that, uh, you know, Eric's like my voice of reason. And, you know, when you got a good guy and a bad guy on your shoulder yelling into your ear, uh, Eric's the one that's, you know, always saying, ah, you got the specs wrong on that thing. Or, you know, you said this wrong or (laughs) you said that wrong. I get a text from him after every episode, you know, sort of straightening me out again. Yeah. He's our, he's our fact checker. He's Snopes. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you Snopes.
1: Sometimes <laughs> when I'm listening to you talk, Marcel, I'll listen and, and you, you know, you'll be searching for a word and I'll be screaming the word or, you know, the, the, whatever. <laughs> historical fact.
0: That's great. That's funny. Really funny. Well, thank you for joining us, Eric. We always like having you on, of course. And, um, so a lot of cool things happening i mean we'll we'll get to pio in a little bit because i know you have a a lot of history with him as i do and uh we'll talk about him for a minute but first and foremost i wanted to cover a couple of things with you that you're probably not even prepared for but um this paris paris fashion Great. show thing which is already sort of old news i guess but i'm still blown away i went and looked at the video again yesterday uh, of that show and just the way that the lights were used um, sort of as uplighting, was to me just a really really cool look and just such a you know every once in a while you see something spectacular and that was just one of those spectacles it was just really really cool so Tell us how that thing happen? Like, you know, was was that driven by your team? Was that somebody that came to you and said, "We need a light that does this"? How did that work out?
1: Um, you know, I, I don't know all the exact details because our guys in Europe handled the project. But it's, you know, we have a, a couple of big customers in France who already owned those fixtures and used them on the Eiffel Tower and other projects, right? And, um, I think the designer behind it, um, from novelty, you know, uh, yes, it's, a the way they designed and engineered the products into the stage and yeah. just, it's a totally out of the box design, right. For a fashion show. Yeah. And, um, and I know, you know, they do a lot of tremendous fashion shows every year in Europe or in France, especially yeah. for fashion week. And, um, boy, it was, it was impressive. I mean, just the scale of it you know, and obviously in front of the Eiffel tower and it was outdoors and it rained. Yeah. So it was just kind of the perfect scenario for our product.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just, the beam effects going through the air and, and just, I don't know, like everything from the design, how they were designed into the stage, but even the programming. And I mean, even the fact the that
1: programming, the music, everything, I, yeah. I don't
0: know that I've ever seen a look that wasn't white is the whole show white.
1: As far as I've
0: seen, yeah. Yeah, because all I've ever seen from it was white, and it just looks amazing. It looks, you know, it reminds mm-hmm. me, quite honestly, of the first time that I started seeing Sharpies being used on shows, and just like, whoa, that looks cool, you know, and mm-hmm. then you kind of mm-hmm. got bored of beams. And now, every once in a while, and I hate to bring it up, but this Clay Packy thing, you know, these the, the couple of uh, uses that I've seen, big uses of the Clay Packy laser thing, the pictures and video are, are incredible. I mean, it's just like, wow. But you know, this fashion show, um, in Paris, similar effect to me, like just where it grabs you and I don't Mm -hmm. care whose fixtures are on it. I know you do, but, uh, for me just as, you know, an industry guy and even a fan, Mm -hmm. just a really cool look.
2: I think interestingly uh, on that, you would expect to have a backdrop of a painted Eiffel Tower. So for me, you had, you know, all the automated lights, the runway and everything else, but it's the real deal behind it, right? Yeah. And then the the, the stands on one side, and that is really what made it super cool looking. And
0: and like like Eric said, the atmosphere too.
2: You know, the
1: fact that there was some rain. Sorry. How how well the group, the the models were lit up and down the runway from right. a technical aspect, I thought that was impressive too. It wasn't our lights doing that, but uh, it was that was impressive too.
0: I hate to say it, but I barely even saw the girls. <laughs> you know, as crazy <laughs> as that is, I was so just enamored. Every time I've looked at it, I'm just looking at how the lights are mounted into the stage and just figuring out how the whole thing was put together and watching the programming and stuff. So honestly like if somebody said you know describe one model i really couldn't i i don't think i could as as stupid as that is maybe that's just age i don't know maybe yeah
2: bulimic
1: you know
0: (laughs) oh that (laughs) one yeah yeah. exactly right
1: you know you know how when you you know how when you hear a a song or somebody sing a song and it gives you chills i mean you know i kind of get that same effect sometimes from lighting you know whether it's my lights or anybody's lights you get that wow, a factor and you get chills, you know, and that's, I think why we all do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So a, a bit of a plug, I guess, so is on the, on the front end of the podcast in the promo at the, at the beginning, um, we talked or I talked about the, um, fuse and, uh, that you're expanding the fuse series with, uh, with the fuse profile. And, um, yeah. I don't know much about it, but I mean, do you want to, tell us a little bit about that fixture. What, what is different, you know, what market it hits.
1: Well, our, our goal, yeah, our goal kind of was to be the most affordable automated ellipsoidal framing fixture on the market uh, with the fuse profile. Right. And we, we were able to find a, or develop a new multicolor engine that gives you a really high CRI so you can use it for, for uh, you know, key lighting. You can use it for, Uh, scenic lighting you can frame in your objects so that was kind of our goal with that series is to the fuse we've had the fuse washes for some time and the pars and they've kind of been our you know mid mid entry level product series but we wanted to expand it with the profile and spot we have a spot in the profile and uh i'll give you a you know a little bit of a a nugget here. We've got two new fused products coming at LDI too. So we're, we're growing that series quite a bit, not abandoning our, you know, our mid-level market presence.
0: Right. So you're not going to tell us what those two new fixtures are, of course, right? I am not. Oh, that's it. That's it. You're, you're off the yeah. show. Yeah. We're, we're going to edit you yeah. out in, in post-production just because of that, you know, you can't Must come on this podcast see. and not tell us what the heck is I going can't. on.
1: I am sworn by secrecy oh
0: my god give me somebody else call Henry call the other guy at elation that we know (laughs) Um, well is there anything you want to tell us about LDI anything that you're releasing that you can talk about or anything that you're doing differently or uh, you know are you flying a blimp over the the convention center I mean anything Uh,
1: you know, I think we're, we're really excited about LDI. We're doing more product demos this year than a, than a light show, quote unquote. I guess there's been a trend the last few years to do light shows and we've enjoyed that, but it's, as you know, a lot of work and a lot of money. So we've decided to focus more on product demos this year with a, you know, a voiceover and, you know, scripted uh, content to kind of really more educate people on our products and, you know, why our products are different and what they'll do for them. So that's kind of been our focus this year and it, it should be great.
2: are you doing a breakout room or no? Are you just, you just main show floor? Not this
1: year. Okay. Not this year. Main show floor. And that's, you know, there's good and bad things about it. The good thing is you get a controlled environment. The bad is you got to walk back and forth a million times every day from the booth. Right. And you're never Mm -hmm. in the booth when you want to see people. So, yeah. so we're going to just have the booth focus and, uh, and I'm looking forward to being there this year live in person instead of, uh, virtually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You weren't there last year. You were that, uh, that iPad robot thing, right? Exactly. Well, we will absolutely, uh, be seeing you there of course. And, um, we'll have to now come and see these two new fuse fixtures that you won't tell us about because, uh, you're sworn to secrecy. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've noticed
1: a a few other surprises too, but,
0: Oh, Jesus damn you. So, um, You know, I've definitely noticed this trend with LDI and especially this year where it seems like there's a lot more education going on. And I know LDI has always been sort of about education and LDI has really been, you know, they've had all of these sessions and things that uh, some of us have taken part in uh, as educators or as panelists or speakers or whatever. But um, it just seems to be a much larger trend uh, this year. And you know, one of the things I noticed, and I don't know, maybe they did it last year and I just didn't notice, but this Amplify Pavilion, uh, which is an audio pavilion, I guess. And to me, the audio part of LDI has always kind of been lacking. Like they wanted to take, you know, audio companies into the show, but it it just there wasn't enough there. You know, it was kind of missing a bit. And um, mm-hmm. now it seems like they're really pushing that because I looked at the list of audio companies that's going to be there, and it's a rather uh, large and, uh, and impressive list with, um, you know, of course, Harman, JBL, but uh, KRA, Acoustics, Electrosonic, Sennheiser, Sure, Void. Um, you know, just quite a few, so it's not, you know, uh, it's not gonna replace AES or, or any of the big audio shows necessarily right away anyways, but it certainly uh, is growing from an audio standpoint, which I think is, is cool because, you know.
2: Um, well, I mean, the audiovisual market, right? When you think about it, there's, you know, there's fewer pure lighting companies or pure sound companies, and a lot of people are just integrating, it buy market demand, right? Have to pull other stuff in. So right. one-stop shopping is somewhat important, right? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I think also it's getting more and more expensive to go to Vegas. And so I don't think, you know, a smaller company that does sound and lighting doesn't necessarily want to go to four different trade shows or they don't want to go to Infocom for video, LDI for lighting and AES for audio or whatever the big audio show is now. Um, so I think it's good and you know i know in our industry they hate to use the word convergence of these markets but you know it seems to be continuing down that path where lighting companies are also visual companies or video companies so um and you know the other thing about ldi is i always poke fun at the fact that they are saying it was the biggest attendance but you walk around the show and it seemed empty and but this year um, apparently, they've got some real numbers backing it up. I've read some reports that it literally is going to be the largest LDI show ever, and from a standpoint of exhibitors, but also um, attendees. And so that's good. I mean, I know, you know, Eric, you and I have talked about this, Henry and I have talked about this a lot, but trade shows overall seem to be getting bigger and better attended again.
1: Yeah, we've seen that trend in the last year or two, for sure. And uh, well, I think interesting i think ldi has abandoned their outdoor parking lot idea and just brought it inside the hall which which i think is smart i mean i think we all want more traffic in the hall right so right
2: yeah that's right sure
0: yeah i don't like shows that do that anyways like it's one of the things that i never really liked about when i had to go to music mesa as in the music business not necessarily the sound or lighting business but i used to go to that show you know buying guitars and things and you had to go to all these different pavilions and ride buses and the one guy you needed to mm-hmm. speak to was always three pavilions away and you had to jump on a bus and go to that that pavilion or whatever it was just it it seems like you spend so much time going between halls and between locations um, other than just, you know, seeing the people and the products you want to see. So
2: Cons- consumer electronics being the epitome of that, right? Where it's spread out all over the place and multiple convention spaces, things like that. It's a nightmare. Yep. Yeah. So. So
0: I'm uh, I, I think it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be a great show and we're looking forward to it, even though we're going to be incredibly busy. And, and uh, I think I've told you, Eric, we are going to be on a um, competitor's booth. Uh, doing our yep. podcast once a day, and that's going to be pretty mm-hmm. interesting and fun because we're actually going to be on the show floor trying to talk over top of all the noise um, into a, a recorded podcast. Um, but we're really looking forward to it because one of the actual uh, episodes we're doing, and I'd love to have you on, but I don't know if you could for political reasons of your own, but... Um, we're talking about the 24-year anniversary of the Big Martin Booth uh, at yeah. LDI uh, in Miami Beach, which you were a part of. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I was talking to fun. Chris
1: actually. I was talking to Chris yesterday, and he mentioned that, so he's pretty excited. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm going to make a big deal of it because, you know, for me that was a big deal, and you know, I'm a yeah, big fan yeah. of the light shows at at these trade shows, and I think if, if you kind of transpose everything over time, it was by far the biggest, you know, technical challenge that anyone's ever taken on at LDI for one of these shows. Sure. It was just monstrous. And so anyways, that's going to be cool. But we're also, um, the, the company behind LDI gave us a room to, uh, or provided us a room to, um, record the podcast from, uh, off the show floor. And, um, you know, we're going to be recording two or three episodes a day from that room as well. So unfortunately for us, I mean, I love walking around the show and talking to people and shaking hands and saying, God, I haven't seen you in 10 years or whatever. There's not going to be that much of that this year because we're locked in a room and and recording podcasts. So, um, but hey, you know, we all
2: have crosses to bear. So one thing that I kind of want to
1: see, we'll see you at the bar.
0: Yeah. Okay, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Which bar though? You know, cause even the hotels, it seems like everybody's <laughs> staying at different hotels now, you know, it used to be, it used to be, you know, everyone was at the hard rock or everyone was
2: here or wherever, but now everyone's scattered. Yeah. So, so Eric, I just uh, kind of want to get your take on this. I'm seeing more and more of it, um, you know, interactive and immersive uh, displays. So sound and lighting displays. I don't know if you got your tickets yet, but there's this, this uh, display at LDI or it's off uh, the convention floor called Splinter. And, uh, you know, what this is, is this is a projection mapping thing that is fully interactive. So you walk through something like an art gallery and you actually interact with the uh, with the um, digital projections and things like that. So this is supposed to be, this is billed as a never been uh, seen thing, but I would imagine it's similar to some of the stuff you see at Infocom where the model walks up to you, a virtual model walks up to you and twirls with, uh, with a dress on, you know? So I, I just...
0: Yeah, I saw uh, Steve Warren from um, AVO. I saw him talking about that. I guess they're one of the creators sponsors, or sponsors yeah. behind that. Um, well, I don't think they're just a sponsor. I think they're actually controlling, uh,
2: you know, all of the... Uh, they have their know. media servers on it, right? Yeah, which, right. Is, which is kind of cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, that looked really interesting
2: so it'll be interesting to see i think this is definitely i I think we're starting to see now the next move or the next trend in our business of being able to to interact with stuff you know certainly uh roe is introducing uh an interactive led dance floor right so it's got sensors in it we uh we exhibited with a company at infocom uh this led display uh last year or in this year's this past year's infocom where again, that got a lot of traction. People would come on to a booth just to stand there and play with the floor, but there was also messaging and things like that embedded in the floor. Yeah, those things. So, you
0: know, uh, those things have been around for a few years, but it seems to become it, it seems to be getting to be sort of more of a trend right now. These the, LED the sensors facing
2: is kind kind of interesting on those dance floors, but more and more, I just see you know, people now starting to interact with, uh, for lack of a better term, mostly lighting displays or projective displays. Right. Yeah. So I can, I can certainly see this, you yeah. know, with some of these, uh, these led billboards and things like that, where you put them up left and right of the door they're you know, six feet tall and two feet wide and things like that, but where there's more of an interactive thing, more of an informational thing. But Eric, do you have any thoughts on that at all about, uh, what's going on with, uh, immersive light
1: shows? Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, I've seen a trend, you know, especially at a lot of the festivals, um, they're doing these kind of, you know, auxiliary displays, you know, whether they're art displays or interactive displays. Um, you know, people want a, the, the full experience, right? So they yeah. don't want to just sit there and listen to musicians anymore, you know, the whole day, weekend, whatever. They want to do other things, and I think these are becoming more and more popular, for sure.
0: Well, there's also another trend that's kind of getting the lighting and even some of the visual stuff off of the stage where it's either um, yeah. drones or audience members. You know, the one Super mm-hmm. Bowl halftime show a few years ago, uh, I forget which one it was, but where um, all of the people in the audience had uh, a hat and the hat had pixels on it mm-hmm. and the pixels were all wirelessly controlled. Mm-hmm. So they were creating images in the yep. audience using the people as pixels, which was just insanely cool. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that that stuff's going to continue. Everybody's walking around with a little supercomputer in their pocket. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to find more and more ways to use that to become part of the show, which
2: is cool. I think so. I, I just, you know, it, it's kind of funny when you look at... You know, where architectural lighting, where everybody we started off with, you know, lamp-based fixtures that you would, you know, in an environmental housing that you'd shine on the side of a building. And I know Eric, you guys have a ton of IP-rated products, also. But I'm wondering now if this is the the next foray back into, you know, outfitting shops and displays and shopping malls and everything else. It got kind of a little bit of traction, you know, 15 years ago. And obviously, there's a ton of outdoor exterior LED stuff that's going on now, but. I see this now as becoming more specialized yeah, again. It's going to keep growing.
0: I, yeah. I agree with that, um, Eric. So, you know we're we're obviously bringing uh, we're bringing Pio on, but um, you know it's in the music business, in even movies, in all kinds of things. We're getting to that age, all of us are, where we're fifty or more, and people around us who we looked up to, not only you know pop stars and rock stars and whatever but even just people that we worked with or for are starting to either hopefully retire or die off or, um, you know, something is going on and they're just disappearing at a, at a crazy rate right now, rock stars and stuff too. And so it's kind of a sad Mm -hmm. time for people our age, I think, you know, ends of eras every day. But, um, so, you know, yesterday i or a couple of days ago i saw the news that uh peter Johansson is no longer with sgm you know again another well it wasn't really an era but uh let's see i mean if if peter is going to resurface in another company or if he's going to uh ride off into the sunset again but um but pio is a guy who you know myself when i started at martin i think the first or second trade show i ever went to I met Pio at Clay Packie and was just really kind of, uh, I don't know, curious by just the, st- the type of person he was. He seemed more like a banker mm-hmm. than a lighting guy. He seemed very serious and very proper and very well-dressed and very, you know, just you know more polished than most of the people that i knew in the lighting business so i was always curious by him and then when you when you go up and talk to him you know one of the most approachable approachable guys i've ever known and you know henry doesn't know PO well i think he met him once and yesterday we got on a call with PO just to kind of do a little pre-thing because you know he's so professional he wanted to make sure his microphone sounded good and all of this stuff he's just such an ex a, a pro and um mm-hmm. henry was blown away by just how nice a guy he is so yeah. um you know i know you've got a lot of experience with him and i think you actually worked together at martin right
1: because well, yeah, I, I mean 10 years yeah so, i think i you know, did he, for a uh, short
0: time i think he had joined martin right before yeah, I, left. I think you
1: were, yeah i think you were there for maybe half a year yeah know, together yeah, but uh, yeah He, uh, you know, I met him for the first time in Rimini when he was a clay Paki the first time. Right. So back when Mark Rollins took me over to Rimini and I got to meet everybody. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, of course, everything you said, just a polished professional, you know, person. And, but obviously somebody that has a ton of passion for our industry and for, for lighting, um, you know, it's, I've been fortunate, I've been fortunate to learn from some of the best in our business, and I consider Pio a mentor, yeah. um, whether he knows it or not. I mean, he, he uh, has great leadership qualities. I mean, he's a very warm person. Um, he's, brings together a team. Um, he's extremely fair person, but he's also very direct. Like when he, when he believes something, he'll tell you. and uh, And I've always respected that about him said, Mark, he's a sales and marketing guru. And from my perspective, I mean, he put together some amazing marketing campaigns, um, you know, during the Martin days. I mean, we were there and together, you know, it face it during the heydays, you know, during the Mac 2000 rollout. Right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, as an Italian, he's a, a tremendous host for parties and events and yeah. customers. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's, you know, he knows good food, uh, you know, he's obviously just one of the constant professionals in our business. And, and, you know, obviously was, I, I talked to him last year and he said, you know, I'm going to probably retire next year and, uh, obviously wish him all the best, but, um, you know, it, you know, I think that, like you said, we're all getting to that point where, you know, at what point do you call it quits right. and, uh, and, you know, enjoy, enjoy the fruits of your labor. And I think, uh, I think PO got out at a good time and, um. You know, I hope he's enjoying life. I'm looking really forward to listening to his podcast today. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all of that stuff is true. And, and he's just, you know, he's one of those guys. He's one of the really cool guys. He's a guy that, uh, you know, I look up to, you look up to. Uh, Peter Johansson looked up to him. You know, uh, Peter, I think sure. that, that, you know, just like, uh, uh, what's his name, the guy who owned Jim? Nigel. No, Nigel. Yep. Nigel. Yeah, Nigel. Yeah. Nigel, Nigel Morris. Yeah. yeah. Nigel Morris. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think some of oh, yeah, these- I got to do it. I got, yeah. to, I got to
1: do it. I Good. got to fill your mouth yeah. with words. There you go. Perfect.
0: <laughs> but I think um, when, when Peter bought Gem, it wasn't because it made incredible sense to the business to merge Gem into Martin. But it was because he could, you know, because he looked up to Jim as being this, you know, mountain that he could never climb. I wish I had what they have. And now he's suddenly big enough to be able to buy them. And I think that was hugely yeah. meaningful. Well, I think I think P.O. was another one of those acquisitions uh, for Peter where by hiring P.O., Peter was going, Aha, you know, this is who I am. I'm I'm bigger than the world, you know, and I can bring P.O in now. And <laughs> And it, by the way, PO agrees with that philosophy. So, you know, I think that, uh, I think that, that, you know, Peter earned um, just, he felt like he, he achieved things by getting to a position where, you know, and I say it to people all the time in my career, in my life, I always thought a Ferrari was like the pinnacle of success. You've succeeded, you've won life when you buy a Ferrari and one time. I hate to say it, but I actually had made enough money where I was sitting in a Ferrari dealership and I had already written a rather hefty check to the Ferrari dealership and was sitting in the finance office and I started sweating and shaking and I grabbed my check back off the desk and walked out and the sales guys going, what the, what, what's going on here? And on my drive home, it was the most liberating feeling I'd ever had because I could buy a Ferrari and I didn't. And, you know, that changed my life, sort of, that moment, you know, not that I still to this day wouldn't like to have one sitting in a garage somewhere, but um, I don't need it, you know. And uh, to be able to, you know, to, to be able to have something that you've always dreamed about, but to actually liberate yourself to a point where you don't have to have it, I don't know. Felt pretty cool, so I understand where Peter's coming from with all that kind of thinking. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, really, really looking forward to this talk today and to seeing PO off properly. Uh, you know, not that we're anything special, but I just want to get some stuff out of his head before, uh, cause he really is retiring. He, he, he told us retiring, that yesterday, retiring, that's right. Yeah. He told us that yesterday yeah. he is retiring and you never know. I mean, mm-hmm. people like us who love this business and love to be busy, it's hard to stop. So who knows? He might be back, but. But, anyways, thanks, thanks so much, Eric, for getting up early and joining us today. And um, see you in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks, and yes, in a couple of weeks. And yes. we'll see your new products. And no if problem. you've got anything you want to talk about at that point, or to promote, or to whatever, let's let's get you on for fifteen minutes one day or something, and uh, and get it out there.
1: Yeah, let's do that before the end of the year
0: for sure. All right, thanks, All right. man. Thanks, you guys. have a great thanks. day. Bye,
2: bye. Yeah there he is. All right. I have my mint tea. Beautiful. How are you, Pio? Hello. Buongiorno.
0: Buoy. Buongiorno. How are See. you?
2: Excellent. Thank you. I'll have you know I'm drinking Italian tea this morning.
1: <laughs>
2: so and I have I, a guy out of Pisa, Italy. I get all of my Nespresso capsules from him, and he has all of this Italian branded Nespresso teas also that are just really good. So. i didn't know that we have italian teas
0: <laughs> either did i I'd, yeah <laughs> i'd never heard of an italian tea i uh i drink this uh so over here in america we have terrible coffee of course pio and yeah. we, we have oh, well. these uh these automatic coffee machines called korig and you've probably seen yeah. them in hotel rooms or something um yeah but i have found a particular brand of italian roast uh coffee that's very strong because i like strong coffee and so mm-hmm. I drink that every day. Is uh, I see. So we're very pro Italian.
3: Yeah, but to, <laughs> to to say the truth, uh, in Italy we drink a lot of uh, Nespresso today. Huh? You know these yeah. capsules. Yes. Uh, and at I all my drink an espresso. Nespresso espresso is not from Italy. An espresso is from Nestle. They're from yes. Switzerland. Yes. So I and believe that a lot of people around the world is drink are drinking now, at, at least in. Europe, let's say, yeah. drinking Nespresso space. Because
0: it's easy and it's fast. So I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story, Pio. So the very first Nespresso machine I had, um, uh, Fausto or Sati came to my house to stay at my house. We were doing business, of course. And um, so he was staying at my house and I asked him if he wanted an espresso and he said, no, Marcel, I don't drink crappy American espresso. And I said, no, no, it's this new machine called an espresso. It's very good. And he says, Marcel, come on. It's not good. Come on. And so finally I convinced him to try one and he was so impressed. He was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is the first time I've had a good espresso in America. And, uh, so it's not too bad.
3: No, in fact, it is not. I have, uh, I think, in every place uh, where I go and where I live, uh, we have an espresso machine. I, everybody in the family is drinking espresso today. Yeah. Easy. You can choose a lot of different uh, types of coffees. Yes, of so it's, course. Uh, yeah. It's uh, quite convenient, I would say. A yeah. nice, Plus expensive. Expensive anyway, yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the things I've always loved so much about Italy <laughs> is, is really how serious... Italians are about the whole experience of drinking coffee, yeah. and you know your little your little uh, sidewalk uh, cafes. Yeah. Um, to me, it's such a social experience. You know, it's not just walking in and getting a coffee and leaving. They walk in and everyone talks and waves their arms around, and it's yeah, like yeah, a yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. a bar <laughs> as much as a, as a coffee. You know, it's like drinking. You know, in England you would go into a pub. In in Italy yeah. you go into a cafe. Um, but uh, I've always really, really appreciated and and loved that about about Italy. Um, you know that yeah. and and the food and the wine and you know the yeah. gelato and I love everything in gelato. Yes, yeah.
3: gelato is very similar to coffee to café. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. We don't call it uh, we don't call it espresso. We call it uh, café. We just drink a coffee. Huh? We don't yeah. drink an espresso. Right. Espresso of course. is already. I mean, is a. Uh, it's it is the meaning of espresso for us is coffee. We, ah. we drink simply coffee. We don't have another kind of coffee. Coffee is café. Drinking a café is drinking an espresso.
0: So you're very surprised when you go to uh, like McDonald's in America and you order a coffee. <laughs> You're not getting the same thing. So, uh,
3: it's well, very I'm different. not ordering a coffee when I go to, You're probably not going to McDonald's.
2: So. Yeah. Oh, right. He's probably saying to himself, I wouldn't be caught dead in a McDonald's, right? Well, it's true.
0: But you know, the other yes. funny thing. So back to Fausto Orsati, who I know you know as well. Yeah. Well, um, but Fausto, uh, I remember whenever he would come to America to visit, you would never guess what his favorite restaurant is. And it's not mcdonald's but very close <laughs> red lobster
3: and red lobster yes yes to it's us, true i can understand him to us here uh,
0: we would oh, never eat in that place it's garbage no. like the lobster i don't even think it's lobster i don't know what it is it's like fat <laughs> shrimp you
3: know? well really strange because uh, lobster are very uncommon in, in 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 italy right and they're normally very expensive yes. so I think that having a possibility to, to eat a, a lobster for for a reasonable price as you do at Lobster yes. is quite uh, is quite an experience. Yes. I can understand uh, Fausto when Oh my god. Eli, I hated him, it he likes- so
0: much because he every time he was here he either wanted to eat Mexican food or red yeah. lobster. And yeah, Mexican
3: food, Tex-Mex or something like yeah, that. Yes, yeah.
0: And I mean, I love Mexican food, uh, and so I was okay with that. But Red Lobster, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like I'll eat Burger King before I eat Red Lobster. I just don't eat that stuff. It's just not. uh it, you well,
3: know. I believe that uh, Red Lobster and Tex-Mex are something you cannot find in in, in Italy, and yeah, that's why course. Fausto, who is very international minded, it's yes. very open, yes, culturally very open. He that's why he was like he like uh eating these kind of things of course probably if he goes to thailand or something else uh, somewhere else he has a similar similar approach to to different foods yeah
2: and uh, I, I think he goes to the hot dog restaurants in thailand <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> i don't know so, yeah. i don't know <laughs> he's this
0: brave henry <laughs> maybe not so pio thank oh. you so much for joining us because i know in in your uh, in your retirement you're very busy and yeah, uh, you know it's amazing. It's amazing when people stop working, how busy they get. You know, yeah, it's uh, true. So we actually just had Eric Loader, who I think you know quite well yeah, from from I the do. Martin days. Um, we just had him on the intro, and he said some very kind things about you. But one of the one of the biggest things he said is PO is truly a mentor to so many people in the industry. And so I think you know especially at Clay Packy, but even in the entire industry, I think you really do leave a legacy. You're one of those guys, uh, you know, you, Peter Johansson, Bellevue. I think there's a, a handful of, of really great people in this industry who who do leave a legacy, even Bruno Di in some sense, yeah. you know. Um, but... You know, to be to be called someone who is who is really a mentor to many great people, and you know, Eric's a great guy in this industry. He's a he's a leader himself and a mentor himself now. And so, for him to say that you were one of his mentors, I think is is quite a compliment.
3: It is, it is, and I appreciate very much this compliment. Yeah. Well, I have to say that I've met so many people in my life, uh, in my professional life, and and uh, I have been always uh, in a sort of uh, management position and uh, for this reason of course I've been uh, had a lot of collaborators and uh, I had to take care of them and uh, I have also always been quite open to not to teach because teach is maybe too much important but to explain them how I was doing business and what was my approach and what was my my belief and, uh, and my the spirit I was working with and I appreciate that uh, people like Harry uh, you know, who. Uh, whom I really uh, appreciate as a very real professional yeah. uh, have really enjoyed uh,
0: working with me. Yes, yes, and he also mentioned, um, you know, that you are an expert at marketing and branding, and um, you know, really creating sort of an atmosphere around a product or even an event. And he said you plan very good parties, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, it's
3: true. <laughs> I think <laughs> that true. might be an Italian thing it's too. In, as well. it's in, in my Italian uh, yes. spirit, you know? Yeah. Italians are normally very friendly, very open, very yeah. welcoming. And for this reason, we uh, really learn immediately how to organize uh, events and get yes. together. So. Well, I remember,
0: I think, I don't think it was my first, but maybe my second Rimini show when I joined the industry. I joined in 1991, so it was probably my first Rimini show. And you had a party at Paradiso. Yeah. And it was legendary. I mean, for me, it was the coolest, you know, uh, business event party I had ever been to, not to mention, you know, the women were unbelievably beautiful in this place. But uh, it was just a crazy, crazy cool event. And, you know, that whole show used to be so amazing. Um, It's
3: funny that so many people uh, still today remember the exhibition of Rimini has a as, a as a legendary uh, event, you know. And yes. it was. It was. It has been for many years a, a fantastic event, and uh, it was a complete. It was a completely different time, of course, and uh, nothing like this was ever was happening anywhere else in the world. Yes, and we had people coming from really from literally from all over the world, from uh, from Latin America, from North America, Europe, of course. And, yeah, China and uh, Asia, everybody was coming to this small town in the, on the Adriatic sea to, to participate, to attend this, uh, this exhibition, which is not at all an exhibition. It was, yeah, it was an exhibition. It was the opportunity to yeah. exhibit. Yes. but in fact, it was more, it was the first example of, uh, of a real, event rather
0: than exhibition it was amazing i let me tell you a quick story so it's actually two quick stories within one so the first time i went i was a very naive canadian boy early in the (laughs) industry uh i had just moved to america to work for trackman martin yeah and um so i go to this trade show in italy and the first thing that happened was at the trade show i remember four beautiful women walking towards me girls I don't know 21 22 years old maybe beautiful like just and they were dressed in these beautiful like shiny leather outfits so I'm just I stood still and I watched as they were walking towards me and then as they walked by of course I followed them to see the back and they had nothing on in the back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were completely <laughs> naked in the back all four of them <laughs> and I went I love this trade show <laughs> I love Italy you know uh, yes, so yes, yes, and yes. then and then the second story so you know of course the rose and crown is where everyone went and um so th- there was this girl who was talking to me who was probably the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen and I'm sitting there thinking why is she talking to me and so you know she's talking and talking and talking and uh i wasn't married yet at the time but i certainly wasn't looking that's for sure and so she was talking away to me and talking away and she was being very very friendly an italian girl Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so she left and went to the bathroom and oh my god what was that crazy british guy from the trussing company um adrian from astrolite was it adrian it was adrian i think it was adrian i think you might be right so him and Ian Kirby and a couple of other guys yep. I that's who I was standing talking with and they said they were going hey mate how, how's your how's your bird going your girl and I'm like yeah I don't know she likes me I don't know what's going on <laughs> and they said well because she's not a bird <laughs> and I said what do you mean she's not a bird what's that mean and and they're like she's not a bird and I'm like what's that mean I don't know what that means and the, and and they go she's got balls (laughs) and i said no no way you guys are crazy so she comes back from the bathroom and you know she goes back to her drink and starts talking to me again and i said i have a question for you and she goes yeah and i said have you got balls and she goes of course i do So this is this was my uh, first experience of Rimini. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not everything is exactly as you see it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you right. Know, the, the interesting thing about
2: the Rimini trade show was it was like a mini vacation for people that went because it was really yeah. low key, low stress. Everything else, nothing like the you know the trade shows today. You go to do business. You fly in. You set up. You work long hours, eighteen, twenty-hour days, and you're on an airplane. You know, yeah. this was too
3: serious and too short. You know, yes, right? yes, and then for a lot of people coming to Italy was a way to to go to a place where it was easy. It was easy to have a good drinks, good yes. wine, yeah. cheap drinks for the yeah. by the way, yeah, very good food. Yes, the weather was not always good huh? because well, I remember some of these Rimini really shows with uh, with snow. Yes, and yes. quite cool, yeah, yeah. quite cold. I would say yes. So. Mm. It was, in fact, uh, I, I think that most uh, th- that all the shows should be like our old dreaming show. Of course, binding yeah. uh, socialization with exhibition and uh, with an event. With, yeah. uh, every every company was giving uh, a party, and of course, it was easy to do something like this in yeah. in our industry, which yeah. was not. The, I, I, I have to remind you that this was not the. The show business, this was really the discotheque business. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That business was completely, is completely different. But
0: one of the things that I thought was so brilliant, and maybe you can tell us how this came about because I'm sure you're part of, you were part of it happening, but the Italian, whatever it was called, consortium or the Italian group commission, trade commission, I think it was, or something was bringing Americans over to Italy, to that trade show. And so, how did that happen? Who was paying for it? Um, because well, the, I thought that was brilliant.
3: Said, <laughs> this was paid by go- by the government. It was a way to finance uh, export. Yeah, and uh, there, so there was a, there were special funds uh, dedicated to. To special uh, industries, and our industry was one of the of the industry which could enjoy some financing. But not it was not money giving giving given to the companies, but it was money giving to the potential customers. You know, in order to in, right to create an incentive for them to visit uh, to visit Italy to and to uh, visit exhibition. But you uh, were able right. to choose who those potential
0: customers were who were able to they were get-
3: normally, they were normally asking us, um, list of cost or potential customers. Yes. Yes. This was, this right. was exactly the procedure,
2: you know, it was an interesting way when you, when you think about it back in the day, this predates the Euro at this point, right? So you had the Italian Lira and that was one of the things that made buying Italian products so attractive at the time, because the, you know, the economy in Europe was mixed at that point. So when yeah. the, the Lyra was, you know, down a little bit. It made Italian product uh, much more desirable to buy versus maybe a German product or maybe a British product, right? right. And I know yeah, that, true. I guess, the, you know, the death of that all was the institute, uh, you know, when they put the euro in, right? But they blended all the economies. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, but for me, the bigger thing was that just Italian nightclubs were so big at the time. And it was such a big thing, Italian discotheques. That you were coming up with these products like the Jupiter and the Astro Reggie yeah. and the, uh, you know, the Golden C- Scan, and Golden uh, Scan, the Coomar Robot yeah. or whatever it was Robot, called. Yes. You know, yes, all of yes. these really big, really expensive um, automated lighting fixtures. And, you know, that was stuff that was we hadn't seen yet in the United States. So, well. you know, until uh, I guess... <laughs> Probably the light wave research guys started bringing um, some of the products over and doing some of these big clubs, and then a couple of
3: other companies were doing yeah. like uh, well the, in in those years we we there was a time when in Italy we had up uh, to thirteen thousand clubs, thirteen thousand which Jesus. i mean you know um. Probably the number in itself doesn't give you an impression, but you know, 13,000 clubs in a, in, in a, in a country where we have uh, approximately 150 uh, cities. Uh, so it's really a lot of clubs and most of those clubs were large clubs, very, very, very large with a huge uh, dance floor. And the dance floor was actually a stage. At the end of the day because people were all performing So say you know like Ita- italian like very much performing yeah? uh, and uh, yeah. they were dancing and uh, and uh, really go- going crazy for this and the bar was very small and this was a major difference compared to the english uh, clubs or north uh, north european or even american the bar was really in a corner you had to pay to, to, to enter the club, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and this fee was, uh, basically cover of giving you the possibility to have a, a drink, one free drink, but most of the people were not buying many drinks. So the club had to survive with the entry fee ah. and, uh, and it was, uh, it was really all about music, dancing, coming together, meeting people uh hunting for a partner this was actually the the main activity yeah uh, and it, it was it went it went very well for many years and this was the way that uh, allowed company like uh, clay pack yeah. it,
1: it, it drove the, the
0: innovation it drove the innovation yeah. forward on on yes, uh, bigger yes. brighter better lighting fixtures and stuff which you know i know at the time for for us over here in america most of the innovation was happening in italy we were seeing most of the cool products coming yeah. out of italy and specifically yeah. in the initially anyways it was Comar and clay and then you had you know lampo and all of these other um, it's about, i remember smaller the, companies.
3: once i made a accounting about the company there were approximately 33 companies 23 33 manufacturers of uh, disco lighting yeah. in Italy. Yeah. Then, in those time. I, will, I We have to remember that there were no, no Chinese. Huh? No, British.
0: no, no. It was all that strip between Bergamo and and Castel Gofredo. You yes, know, they were right. all in that general vicinity. And
3: yes, I remember yes.
0: looking out the door of Coamar, and who was it right behind them? I think it was Coef was like like, literally right next door to komar yes yes yes. and uh then there was somebody else just uh across what was the guy who made that first uh moving headlight uh looking at the guy uh, in my head right now um yeah he made a moving headlight i cannot remember one of the very very early ones (laughs) um oh goodness i'm looking at him in my head anyways but yeah it was such an interesting (laughs) business and then learning that many of the companies were buying the components from the same manufacturers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. Sharing yes. components. So I yes. wanna I wanna go back a little bit, P O and yeah. and um, you and I think I said this to Eric or to someone else over the past couple of days, but you don't look or act or seem like a guy that comes from our industry. And no, you, you seem like a banker, uh, you know, an investor, a businessman, more from a much more rigid, uh, much more disciplined industry, perhaps. Um, yeah. And which is, you know, I think why you've been so successful is because you came in with some discipline and with some real business acumen yeah. and stuff. But um, so I, I'm curious how you found your way into the industry, because I, I've never heard the story.
3: You never heard the story. I haven't. <laughs> well, uh, I come from a from a very uh, international family, and um, have been living uh, for a few years around the world before before establishing in Italy when I was in, at the age of eight. And then I, I remember that my father, both my father and my mother, told me, "You have to become an engineer." Uh, my father were working for a big. Uh, m- 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 more multinational corporation involved in energy. And my mother were working for a construction company, building, uh, um, power plants. And they told me, we will help you to find a job as a nuclear engineer in a nuclear plant. And so, uh, following their suggestion, I, I, uh, sorry, I have a telephone ring No problem. It happens. It happens, there, for sure. <laughs> so uh, I followed the, the suggestion. So I became, as I told you, I became a nuclear engineer, and I was jobless. Did you hear about the jobless? Uh, no. No? no. No? no. well. I was telling you that a couple of months before my my graduation in Italy, it was June, I remember, uh, we had a referendum, and the plan, the national plan for, uh, for nuclear nuclear, uh, energy was completely abolished, and all the nuclear plants that were planned to be to be built were completely stopped. So I found myself uh, basically jobless before even before graduating, and I had to find an alternative. So I w- decided to go to look for a job into the medical industry, and I found a job in a in a very important company, uh, Italian company, uh, involved in uh, in with a cardiology equipment Uh, and uh, and I was and fresh from my university study I accepted to become an expert in cardiology so I had to study again and again to to learn how to make electrocardiogram how to make uh, echocardiograms and this kind of things because I was promoting around the world as a product specialist this uh, new equipment I am based on for the first time based on a on a computer based on a, on a microprocessors and so on. and mm-hmm. uh, and you know the doctors were not e- were not available to accept uh, automatic uh, diagnosis or, or machines making their jobs so you had to be very skilled in the in order to explain them uh, why they had to trust the machine and how they could make use of this machine for, to improve their jobs. Wow. And this was for me, uh, an interesting experience because I, I learned that uh, when you, when you have to, to launch a product, you have to really, to know everything about the product, not only the way the product is, bu- is built, is manufactured and how it works, but especially how the product is used and what kind of benefits the product can give to the cast, to the customer. Right. It was uh, this was really the first, what the first, my the way I learned uh, the importance of uh, of uh, product management and uh, understanding uh, in full. Uh, a product from, from every viewpoint.
2: In that in that time period, though, Pio, I mean, the Italians have always been big in the uh, pacemaker industry and uh, heart-related yes. medical products. I mean, I remember my father worked for Cordis Electronics back in the day, and some of the earliest models, pacemakers that had batteries yes. in them, surely came out of Italy. So, there was it's, probably- true. it's true, it's true. It's
3: this compound was, in fact, uh, uh, connected to uh, to 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 a pacemaker company, pacemaking company. Yes, it's true. Uh, and uh, it was a very very qualified company. Uh, today, the, it doesn't exist any longer because this industry, uh, this this, uh, this is not this company has not disappeared, by the com- the the competition coming from from Japan uh, and and especially from Japan and and from uh, from. Uh, from North North America has made uh, uh, the the market very tough. But uh, at that time, it was really leading company around the world and uh, exporting uh, all around uh, the world. And I was, for this reason, I immediately learned to make, that making business was, uh, the meaning of making business was uh, making international business, not only in Italy. In fact, uh, from the very beginning, I was Im- involved in with international sales, international promotion, international exhibitions, and you know this is not so obvious uh, uh, for for an Italian uh, for an Italian guy. But this was only my first experience because uh, after five or five years in this company, I decided that I wanted to work for for a larger company and um and uh, i needed to go into into a really uh, big company with uh, with subsidiaries and around the world with uh, more than one factory and so i started looking around and i found a job as a marketing uh, manager at uh, michelin you know michelin is the tire company yes uh, the french tire company which is of course, based all around the world. And it was already based all around the world, a company with more than 250,000 employees. So really a huge, huge uh, corporation. And I was hired to become the marketing manager of Michelin in Italy, but uh, this company was strongly product oriented and they, they, they not offered me, they really uh, forced me to have a, an intensive training, product training, which lasted nearly nearly three years. Jesus. So I had to learn about everything about the product, about the way you sell a product. I became a salesman. I worked in the factory for a, for a couple of months as a, as a blue collar. Then I became a salesman, you know, in a very small uh, small city uh visit you know in a tire shop then i ha- i became uh, i i start to work with uh with truck drivers and i learned how to how the how to sell tires uh, to, try, to, to track to to truck drivers Jeez. then i became a, an area manager with a group of salesmen uh, and I'm, i was the manager of this space of different kind of salesmen selling uh, tires to to motorcycles to cars to 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 track to bicycles you know all so of this when you were
0: hired to, to be a marketing it, guy though right
3: um, yes i learned <laughs> to be i learned about marketing it this make, made me really uh, extremely excited and interested into into marketing in general and uh, finally after nearly 2 years i took my the job for which i was i had been hired and so was it really a
0: 2 year training program Yes, Where they yes. put you into every department and you, you had to you, learn.
3: You can't believe, you can't believe how unreal. this company was really, in this company, it was all around uh, training and education. That is and amazing. And it was my, my real business university, my real business university.
0: That is amazing.
3: The last period, uh, it was a period about uh, four months, I had to go to France, to the headquarter where they had a special school for a future executive. And uh, this, uh, in this school, you were really visiting all department and staying in every department 15 days. You had the tutor following you. And, and at the end of the course, you had a, an examination and passing the examination, you were entitled to become a future top executive of the company. Wow. And really invested a lot of money on, on PR home at that time. That's and crazy. unfortunately, my final job was in Milano. And I was living in Bergamo, you know, this small town which is not far away from Milano, but uh, you ha- had to commute every day by car. And it, then in those years, there were a lot of works on the motorway. And I was really wasting uh, three hours every day commuting. Oh and this was so heavy for me, you know, so annoying and uh, i had a young family you know with uh, young kids and a young wife and i didn't want to stay uh so far away from 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 the family so i started looking for a job another job
0: so how long and were you how long were you <clears throat> actually in your marketing role before you decided half, to leave
3: two and a half year
0: so you had two years of training two and a half years yeah. on the job in marketing yeah. And then you just couldn't
3: handle the commute anymore. You didn't like it. No, this was not possible. The the guys, my friends of Michelin were really uh, totally upset and they, they tried to convince me to stay, they offered me a job in, in France. They, they really wanted me to, they offered me everything they could, but really the problem, I was so annoyed about the the commuting that. Right. uh, I couldn't. I couldn't uh, accept that. Do you the ever? End,
0: uh, do you ever think of what your life might have been had you yes, made a different times. decision at that time?
3: Many, many times. Yeah. Because I have to say that um, Michelin is still in my heart. Every every company I've been working for is, is still in my heart. It's just part of my heart. But right. Michelin is really one of the company that I really uh, love the most. And uh, and I think that. Uh, even you know a lot when for european especially italian when you speak about uh, france and french people uh, normally we don't like them too much but right, uh, right. <laughs> but in i have learned that the french people are really nice people not only nice they are very special they have a special approach a little bit intellectual you know they are really always thinking uh, in a sort of abstract way and uh, one last thing about
2: Michelin before we, we kind of move on, you know, obviously, you know, when you're in the tire business, it is hyper-competitive. You have, you know, Firestone and Goodyear and all these companies, yep. so, you know, as a head of marketing for these type of companies, you have to be very, very, very specific and very targeted about how you run your campaigns. Obviously there's really no runaway successes in an advertising campaign where you get a 10 or 20% increase in sales. A lot of this stuff because of the sheer volume of things, you know, a one or 2% increase in sales is, you know, significant from a campaign, right? So I just, so is this where you actually learn to thoroughly analyze how you run your campaigns? Is this where you really formed all of your ideas, how to treat customers, but also at the same time, you know, how to run campaigns? And then, you know, from there, obviously taking that into Clay Packy, right? But is this where you really, really, really nailed it down in terms of marketing?
3: Yeah, I have to say that uh, once again, um, the product was the focus point of our business uh, at Michelin. Every time time, uh, we were, uh, we were, Talking to customer, we are talking about the product, the way the product performs and the benefits of the product. And, uh, and this was really uh, of primordial importance for, for the Michelin people. And you know, the Michelin is a real innovator uh, or was at least a, a real innovator. They have been the, the inventor of, uh, not the inventor of tires because the inventor of tires uh, for car cars have, have been uh, uh, developed, but uh, they 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 were the the inventors of radial tires, and the inventors of tubeless tires, and you know tubeless tires are really have made a revolution in in the car industry, in the automotive industry, and 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 again other another key point for for Michelin was was uh, quality uh, and. Quality meant means uh, entire uh, endurance, uh, long life, uh, and uh, and uh, resistance to to shocks and so on. And and we had to explain this to customers. It was uh, the, we had to make people believe in quality. And making people believe in quality is not is not easy because quality is a is a promise. It's not uh, it's not. There is no evidence of quality and uh, unless you have really tried the product uh, and after, after some time, years, so, in the, well, case the of time. The other so issue is that it, sometimes when it.
0: sometimes when you're selling quality, you're also pushing a higher price and yes, convincing, this was, this was, convincing the this customer was that embedded
3: the, in the- in the concept of quality, yes. Of, of course, course,
0: yeah. So you're convincing the customer that the higher price is a good exchange for the, um, additional quality. And this is one of the problems. It's an interesting topic you bring up because in the lighting business, this is something that many companies, yours included have been battling for a number of years with some of the manufacturers who are building in China or in, uh, even in Czech Republic, for example, uh, prior to them being part of the EU, especially. So, um,
3: so yeah, selling quality is always, uh, difficult, complicated. Selling quality and selling innovation, especially when innovation in, implies uh, uh, an extra cost, a exactly. premium price, yes. uh, and and uh, and this was really uh, uh, I've learned to 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 promote quality products and expensive products at the time of, of, of Michelin. This yeah. was really what I've learned to do. This. So you and were perfect. in those years. In those years, Michelin was uh, attacking the, the 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 American market, and uh, I don't know if you remember the campaign uh, at that time, but it was uh, Michelin was really uh, addressing all the American customers, talking about co- their quality uh, and talking about uh, safety as well. Safety uh, was another of uh, of the key topics about uh, when 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 promoting tires. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so so obviously because the the
0: commute, um, you know, you sadly were forcing yourself to leave the company. I'm guessing that you started looking for something closer to home in Bergamo. Yes, and, uh, I was
3: living in Bergamo, and I had, of course, a lot of friends around uh, Bergamo. And strangely enough, I have never been. I had never been looking for a job in in Bergamo. You know. No, I don't know why, honestly, yeah. And uh, but a, a friend of mine uh, told me uh, one day, uh, I know you're looking for a job, uh, why don't you come with me, I, show, I, you, I introduce you to a guy who has just, uh, for whom I have just um, designed and, and built a, a small factory, uh, and so he brought me to meet Paki, wow. and, and Paki. And, uh, it was a very, it was a very strange meeting because, uh, can you imagine I was coming from this huge corporation with, uh, with, uh, in Italy, only we had 25,000 employees. Yes. And I was, uh, I was working in their, in their headquarters in Milan, a, a nice building and uh, at the top executive floor, you know, with a lift man and everything. And, and I went to this tiny company in the middle of nowhere in total there were 20 people Jesus. including the blue collars, including wow. the blue collars. but paki was a fascinating personality you know paki was really a very simple man but he was a fascinating personality and he had a dream and uh and we speak and we spoke a lot you know we sat uh, we sat in his uh, office he had a he had a, a very large office uh, beautifully uh, furnished you know with a huge uh, huge um uh desk you know and uh, and uh, we sat and uh, And we we started talking, he asked me a lot of questions about my professional background and my professional experience, but he started to talk about his dream. And his dream was to, to have one day in the future, to have a factory with a few hundred employees. And he was telling me, we make fantastic product that can be sold all around the world. But today our sales are mainly in Italy 80% 80% of what we sell and we do are sold is, is sold in Italy. And I believe we can expand our business around the world. And a guy like you with an international experience can really help us to do, to make it happen. Wow. And, um, I, one so, second Pio, I have a quick
0: question. Uh, so, you know, as we all know, Packy is the Packy
3: and clay Packy. What is the clay? Clay was the name of, uh, of the, of Paki's, uh, partner when he had established the company. You know, I don't know how much you, you know, about Paki, but you know, Paki before being, before being an entrepreneur used to be, uh, an artist, a, a guitar player in a band. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's really, his real name is Pasquale eh? yeah. and, uh, and, in in those years, it was uh, common to use to have a, a nickname, especially if you were a musician, and he chose to be called himself Paki, which was a sort of abbreviation of uh, Pasquale. Right. And um, another member of the band was Claudio and uh, and Claudio's nickname was Clay. So the two the two guys decided that one day to create a to establish a company for, for producing uh, for manufacturing light for clubs uh, and uh, and so they did. And, but unfortunately, uh, Claudio uh, had a, a motorbike accident and unfortunately he passed away just a few weeks or I would say a couple of months before the company was established, but Baki uh, was really uh, so uh he was so close friend of this guy who de- and he decided to keep uh the clay paki name the, the his nickname in the company wow name with, what a he, cool uh, story That's i had never heard that, never story. that. yeah <laughs> no. yeah i appreciate so you sharing clay that it's not certainly an italian name you wouldn't call him <laughs> no i Everybody. always wondered i mean i
0: knew pasquale i've i've known pasquale for many years but yeah. I never knew, and I knew his nickname was Paki, but I never knew uh, where the clay came from. And I just never thought to ask until now. So, um, but I interrupted you. You're you're sitting in in
3: Pasquale's office. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I'm sitting in Pasquale's office and he asked he me about his dream. And then he asked me at the second or third meeting, I don't remember, because we had several meetings. You know, he wanted to convince me. To, to join the company and I was reluctant because of the size, maybe not not because I did I did I I did see the opportunity, but especially economically, because he was offering me a, a lot of money compared to to, to Michelin, but uh, but I was reluctant because, because of the size and uh, and uh, but uh, at the end uh, I, followed, uh, I, fo- I felt I felt I in love with this with this personality and. Uh, and and especially with with his dream, yeah. he had a real vision, and I had to say that uh, this vision has become true after not many years. That's
0: that's really cool.
3: And yeah. uh, so, so it had to be a really tough decision, it. though, because mm-hmm. you know it had to be a very
0: tough decision, and you were probably going yeah. home and talking to your wife and saying. You know this guy is such a fun guy and i really believe in his vision and yeah. and it's an interesting industry but god it's 20 people in the entire company they could go bankrupt tomorrow i don't know
3: you know there's no, no, no security no, no. the, the and, risk of going the, the risk of going bankrupt was not uh, was not uh you weren't worried about that it does not exist at all because the business in those years was really booming and these companies was growing with a rate of 25 percent every year wow. so the I really could see the, bis- the the business opportunity what was really a little bit uh, strange for me to was accepting to work for this, such a small company uh, after having been in a, such a big such a big corporation like me right. but hey. at the end of the day, I accepted the challenge and I I decided to join and uh, and uh, and I will say that I did it especially because of Paki uh, because yeah. of Paki and his personality and uh, because he really was uh, you know he was uh, he didn't have a high education but he was really extremely structured uh, extremely serious uh, very trustful and. Uh, and, uh, for instance, he was, his background was, let's say, technical and artistic, but, uh, but he always wanted to be surrounded by, by, uh, by people with, uh, with a strong uh, education, especially in key, in key positions like uh, finance, for instance, you know. He always wanted to, to be sure that finance, the company, were run perfectly because he wanted to dedicate himself totally to the, to the product, to product innovation and, uh, being, being sure that the company was in, was doing well from every, from every other viewpoint. And, yeah. uh, and he hired, uh, I remember when I, he hired me for sales and marketing at the same time, he hired the guy, uh, came an important a, a guy for coming from, uh, from
2: um, was it Luciano ABDT, Salvati?
3: ABDT from 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 manufacturing, and another guy who, who had a strong uh, experience in finance to run the finance part of the company. And and the three of us, uh, the three of us, I mean the three executive plus of course Paki, uh, we uh, we gradually uh, built it built a, a new company around this initial small uh, small business uh, right. family owned business and uh, which started to grow yes and my first mission was to go around the world to create a, an international distribution network and and i had the i had the right mindset of course and had the right experience uh, from from my exper- my, my so- previous job
2: so Pio, question for you in the product development cycle at this point, I mean, you came into Claypacchi for the first time in 1990. So this is about where the disco market is slowing down. The first introductions no, 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 of, no, no. of the go- no, go- answer. No, are-
3: no, it's not true. I came in Claypacchi in 1988, 90, Okay. And this was the time where the club market was booming. was okay. booming. The slowdown came a little bit later on, around uh, I would say uh, in the in the second part of the 90s. I would say 96, 97, and from the, from their own, and uh, and uh, and this is when uh, the diversification came, and and, more, and and all this lighting company uh, went uh, gradually into stage lighting rather than club lighting.
2: Yeah, right? I mean, the automated lighting thing though, right? I mean, the first, like the, the golden scan two, which predates the three, obviously, and the silver scan before that, that introduction was like 90, 91, 92, something like that, yes, right? Yes, right. Yes. Okay.
3: Because, uh, Paki, Paki and, and, and Bruno Dodoro uh, when they designed their first uh, movie mirror uh, fixture, they had clubs in mind. And um, then daily really they didn't consider at all the possibility to sell uh, to uh, to to the rental market. I mean to the stage rental market to the touring market. But uh, but uh, I have to say that it, that it it was the it was the customer who discovered the possibility to use ot- disco automated lighting for 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 touring. It was not. Uh, it was not coming from 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 Paki or from um, from the door. They 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 were really disco people. They had uh, their, the way they were designed. The fixture was really meant for clubs. And if you if I don't know if you remember, but the gold scan, the body, I mean the the enclosure was silver painted. Yes. It was a silver fixture, and. Uh, and you don't want to see uh, uh, no, the body right? of, no. of the housing of, 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 a la- of a fixture when it is on stage. But it's and funny the- when we
0: think back, when we think back to um, sort of when moving lights started happening in in the uh, events business, um, Clay Packie was very slow into that business. So was Komar. Komar and Clay Packie both took a lot longer to get into that business. And I always just assumed that it was because... They were Italian and the business was really being driven from the US and you didn't really have initially or at that point because high end had already gone off on their own. You didn't have a distributor that I guess was really great at getting them into that rental market possibly. So um, I wonder though, like I, I always assumed it was just because you were an Italian company that, you know, the business was being driven in America more so the rental business.
3: It is true. I mean, it is it's true. Uh, if you think about uh, stage lighting, especially in touring, uh, at that time stage lighting was uh, it was all around. All, it was all about uh, parkas, of course, from one side. But if you speak, if we are speaking about automated lights. It was about ready light right and so the everybody around the world uh, every important artist every important band every important rank of company who was willing to to produce a big show was using very lights yeah. that you could only rent at that time uh, and uh, and the the automate the moving mirror automated light came as an alternative uh, and I would say, yes, you're right when you say that this trend was created in the U.S. Right. Uh, With the remember, initially, At that really. time, IN system, which was not called IN system at that, right. uh, at that time yet. Blackstone, um, yep. Or yeah, Lightweight. Right. Lightweight. Uh, was the Claypack Distributor. But not, on, not only the Claypack Distributor, but it was also the Coema Distributor and, and many other brands, Italian brands. Correct. And, um, and then uh, Richard. Decided to to make a, a Golden Stan like uh, fixture. Mm, uh, I wouldn't say that uh, it was a copy, but I would say it was inspired by Golden <laughs> scan very similar. to Golden yes. scan, which, No, no, no! Don't laugh, because I have a big admiration for for Richard. Oh, Hardy. I know that. I know that. Very, very. I believe that uh, uh, Richard is second only to paky Right. And uh, he did. Fantastic things in his life, and uh, same as Packy. And I will say that, of course, uh, he got inspiration from the Golden Scan. Yes, but he made what was important is that he made a fixture that, from the optical viewpoint, was completely different. It was very, very similar to a to a stage lighting fixture, you know, based on on a on a on a, um, on a completely different uh, reflector. Uh, you know, the Golden Scan was based on, on Paki's, uh, design, which was very similar to a, to a,
2: like uh, a slide, projector video, not something. a video
3: projector, sorry, to a movie project, cinema projector, yep. you know, with a do- double condenser lens. So the optical system was giving a very sharp, very precise, uh, uh, projection, you know, yeah. uh, on screen. But the beam, uh, the mid beam was not so powerful. And, and this was uh, the main difference between the IntelliBeam, which was the high-end system fixture and the golden scan. Right. And the IntelliBeam was immediately adopted by a lot of bands, especially the United States. Yeah. Much, much more than the golden scan in Europe and we had this huge competition between Inteladim and Golden Scan, and later on between Super Scan and Cyberlight, and and I have to say that, uh, of course, the American market uh, uh, was full of rental companies and, it well, is and designers
0: beautiful. and designers, designers you know so the shows were being designed designers. in america yes and yes, yes, therefore absolutely. specified with yeah. american products and you know it's really perfect. they they changed the future with with products like the intellibeam and the cyberlight and absolutely, um, absolutely. so the cyberlight
3: you, was a fantastic feature it's really fantastic uh, you, as the like, golden scan a super scan oh yeah and, yeah. And the states can. But yeah. as you say, we, Klepaki was not, uh, we never succeeded in having, uh, how to say, uh, uh, the right distributor. Let's say we had a lot of good, we had a few distributors, we, we had Group One, which did uh, an excellent job. Yeah. Uh, but it was a Kelly. very different business. You know, that's when I, I really joined the really business. They were a different business, you're right. Yeah, that's uh, when I course,
0: joined the business. IM, and
3: believe me, I know IM how IMF hard it was. It was very really close to to the touring market. And uh, they had already a lot of customers for other reasons. They were dealer for important, for important products that yes. were imported to, to the touring yeah. market. And they were close to the... To the touring market they they are were so powerful that actually uh, many when many dealers didn't want to deal with klepaki be not not to upset high-end system i right, would say right 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 and um, so it was difficult for klepaky to penetrate the american market this has, yeah. also, has always been our our let's say uh, weak point uh, yeah in the rest of the world where we're we were very powerful, I would say in Europe, extremely powerful uh, in every single country. We had uh, a very good market share. Yes. And uh, in Asia, we were as powerful as ien system, I would say. And um, America was uh, always
0: a very different market, though, in the in the lighting business. And, you know, I came from a similar direction in that I was selling a Danish product into an American market that wanted the American product that was a better product for the most part. But in the end, it came down to relationships. And I created really, really good relationships with people that trusted mm. me to use a relatively inferior product on their shows. And mm. um, and it worked. And then so uh, ultimately, Martin used that money to create better products over time. And eventually, they came out with the Mac 2000. And and uh, so, you left Clay Packie at some point in the '90s, right? The first yes, time, yes, it
3: was the '96 when I left Clay '95, '96, and uh, I left Clay Packie because I wanted to. Well, I wanted to a uh, change uh, from from normally. After a while, I I need a change. This is my my personality and. Right. Uh, uh, I, I like to learn more and then I, but I, in, in fact, the reason why I left Le package was that my sister, uh, married a guy who had a small company and, uh, they wanted uh, to, uh, to, to have some, somebody from the family to run sales and, um, well, so it was the right time for a change. So I decided to accept their proposal and, um. But it didn't last long. It didn't last long because they were involved in the um, automation, you know, manufacturing automation, and it was not really an exciting business. Right. Uh, I, and one year after having left Le I decided to to visit Sib again, you know, just as a as a visit. Yeah. And during this visit, I I I, I met Pakia and I, I met a lot of. Friend of mine, and and one of the visit that I did was to the. I paid a visit to Peter Johansen and Martin Professional at the stand, and Peter, who was always joking, you know, you know that Peter is is always joking. Of course, basically. yes. You never know when he's serious. Yeah. He told me, "Why don't you join Martin Professional?" And I told him, "Peter, you always offered me a job in the in the in the past years, but you never made a serious proposal. Why don't you make me a serious proposal?" And he did. Wow! He did. After a while, I received a phone call from an Italian guy who told me I am representing uh, Peter, uh, and he has an offer to, for you. Uh, he's inviting you to visit the factory in Denmark. And so I went to uh, to Freddy's Haven and uh, and to Aarhus, and uh, and we had a conversation during dinner with Peter. And at the end of the day, I accepted uh, his offer and I joined the company. And as you say, the Marcel, as you said uh, when we spoke the last time, yeah. for him it was really a sort of uh, acquisition. Yes, yes you're yeah. right. It was the time when Martin was already a public company, you know, yeah. and. Uh, and Martin was making acquisition around the world, you know. So you were another there, trophy. Had... You
0: were another trophy on his yes, shelf. Yes,
3: well, I was a sort of trophy for, for Peter johansson yes. I, I, I shouldn't say that because, honestly, I'm not so arrogant to believe that I had to. No, but that's I, what
0: I, it was. I, I do remember it at the time. And he was, he was collecting trophies at that point you in know? his life. <laughs> yeah. And he finally had the... He had the capital and the and the resources yes. to be able to collect yes. trophies, and um, some of them worked out tremendously. Some of them not so much. And um, so, how was that for you, being at Martin? Was it uh, was it a party? When I visited it- the
3: factory, I was shocked. I have to say because I I knew already not only Clenpaki but a lot of these Italian companies because I you know. My, I had always very friendship, uh, very friendly relationship with, uh, with the other brands, and I, you know, in Italy we are over very open and to of each course, other. Yeah. We allow people to visit different factories, and I had visited, I would say, nearly all the factories of, uh, of automated lights, and but but Martin Professional was completely different it yeah. was completely different These was a really industrial setup with a full integration you know from electronics to 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 painting you know everything they were really doing anything it was built everything. to scale like chinese do today yeah like no they chinese. were built
0: to scale whereas most automated lighting companies before Martin were built to handle the business that they have today Martin was built to handle the business that they want to have next year, you know, built to scale.
3: So again, uh, it was really impressive. And uh, you can imagine after having uh, being in Claypacchi, which Claypacchi was already a a very respectable company, very size wise. And, uh, but uh, this was reminding me a little bit my time at, at, at Michelin, you know, with a really, Industrial setup, uh, strong finance, and so on. And so I decided to accept another time a new challenge and to learn another another product and another product range and another brand. And Martin had a huge potential. It was the time where they had uh, just released uh, their moving heads together with uh, with uh, with high end system who released the. um, the uh, studio color studio uh, color, yeah. studio spot, studio yeah. spot uh, on the other side of the ocean martin had released the max 600 and uh, it was really very promising you know the business was uh, booming again and uh, the acquisition of uh, of trackman and uh, the establishment of martin usa was a very important step and uh, so i decided to join at the beginning i didn't have a an important mission because my job was to, to take care of, uh, of, uh, Southern Europe, which I did it, you, but it was France, Italy, and let's say a little bit Mediterranean area, but, um, but a few, very few months later, I would say less than a year later, uh, I was called by the board of director to, to Denmark, uh, and. And they offered me the job of uh, uh, international sales and marketing director of the group, for the group. And this is, was in in connection to the fact that they had to, that Peter Johansson had to leave the company. Yes. And uh, and so a new story started for me. I had to move to Denmark. And I had to, and, and, uh, and, and this fantastic experience with multi Professional. Um, begun and it lasted for for several years because I all altogether I stayed in Martin for nearly nine years. Wow! Yeah, very important years. Yeah. Very important years. It's it's funny important.
0: because it's so much overshadowed by your uh, tenure with uh, with Clay Packy. but Packie, to yeah. to like even for me and I actually worked for with you for a very brief moment at Martin. I had left right after you started, but. Um, It's, I forget that you were there nine years, you know, that's a very large part of your career that you spent at Martin. And, uh, and so I think from from
3: 97 till 2005. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very long. So then what?
3: Well, it was, uh, then you mean after Martin or during Martin? So you got bored again? No, 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 not at <laughs> all because the business in Martin was very nice, but you know, I was living in Denmark without, without my family. Oh boy. And it, I was re- I mean, no problem for many years. I, I, I really loved it, that my, I had found with my wife uh, a good arrangement I was coming. I was commuting, uh, every weekend, Martin was very generous. They allowed me to travel back and forth, uh, no, I mean, it was. Excellent, and uh, but uh, in two thousand and two, uh, when I was fifty, but I, I was exactly fifty when I had my third uh, child, my my uh, my last daughter, and yes. uh, uh, she she was born when I was fifty, and I obviously I I didn't want to have. Another time, the same uh, sad experience of uh, living far away from the family when the kids were growing, and I, I decided to, to, uh, to focus on the Italian market. Uh, so I kept my job as international sales, uh, international sales manager director for the group, but I moved my office from Denmark to Italy, and then I took responsibility of the Italian market and. Uh, and this, uh, unfortunately, was not a good move from the from the marketing point. In the sense that, uh, if you don't stay in the headquarters, you lose li- you lose a little bit of contacts, you know. Yeah. So gradually, uh, it was obvious that it was a better decision for me to to leave my job as an international sales director. And and then later on, I I decided to leave the group yes uh, and to find a job in italy and my idea was to find a job in an italian lighting company a company with the headquarter in italy and uh, it was the time when leds uh, were were booming uh color connected color kinetics uh, were were booming as well yes. and there was no equivalent to Color Kinetics in Europe. And uh, my dream was to create a company uh, w- which was a sort of European Color Kinetics. And I found Targetti, Targetti uh, an Italian lighting company, which was very very important at that time. And uh, the, the, the Mr. Targetti uh, uh, had the same dream. We were sharing the same dream and uh, so, he hired me with a special mission of creating a division of LED um, lights, uh, color changing, uh, uh, which uh, which I did. Which I did. Uh, this division was called uh, Luce Viva, and uh, very it was a very nice uh, product range. Uh, uh, but uh, unfortunately, I have to say that. Uh, uh, the architectural lighting business is not at all exciting, as exciting as the sh- as show lighting business. Yes, and, I agree with you. You know, it's a bis- it's a project business. Yes. And it takes so long to finalize uh, anything, uh, really, years and years you before you can get uh, to close an order and to see uh, your product installed. Yeah, you, and, you uh, sell
0: something today and you don't get to see it happen you know, for a year, you know? Yeah.
3: For a couple of years, three uh, uh, yeah. years, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. the company was successful, but it was uh, slow, ver- very, very slow. And uh, coming from the show business, you, you, you it's difficult to cope with uh, with this uh, with this uh, slow speed. Let's say. Yeah. So um, I was uh, I had still a lot of contact with my old friends from Klippanki, and um, one of them told me that. Uh, he believed that uh, probably Paki would be would have been interested to to talk to me, uh, and uh, I accepted to have a meeting with uh, with with Paki. We it was a long time with that we we didn't speak we didn't meet because I was based in Florence and he in Firenze and he was Bergamo and my family had already moved to to to, to Rome and so it was it was not easy to meet but. We had a meeting and, uh, it was very friendly. Paki was not, when I left Paki, Paki Packy was not happy at all, of course, but, uh, he had meanwhile, he had, uh, forgotten, uh, and, and I would say also forgiven, yes. <laughs> which was, which was not easy considering yeah. that Martin became a, a huge competitor for Paki. And, uh, let's say that, uh, we spoke a lot and, uh, at the end, uh, I think that it was a mutual decision. We decided to to give it a try, and uh, I I accepted uh, to to work for Klepaki because I saw their new uh, their new Alpha three hundred and Alpha seven hundred uh, moving head, which was really extremely interesting, you know, because uh, it was it, the. It was a tiny product, very lightweight, very compact, uh, very perfectly engineered. And it was very promising from my viewpoint. And uh, so I said, okay, there's a huge potential in like another time here and let's, let's try. And you know, when, I, when, when this happened, every other company, every other lighting company in the world was c- focusing exclusively on LEDs everybody were trying were putting all their money into developing led fixtures and paky was doing exactly the opposite he never really he never believed in leds especially in those times led technology was not really uh, powerful enough uh, there were a lot of uh, problems in terms of uh, color consistency uh quality uh, power consistency uh, and and the product the LEDs were not yet uh, perfect for stage lighting application so he decided to to focus on 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 discharge lamp and um and uh, especially on a new generation of discharge lamp, uh, which was made available at that time by Philips, the Platinum series, which was really very very powerful and compact. And around this in, around this uh, bulb, he uh, he developed the Alpha 300 and the Alpha 700 family, which were we had which sorry which had a huge success on the market immediately, and uh, then. Uh, uh, I I supported the, the 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 introduction of this product and they, they really uh, were successful. The company work was coming from a, a period of um, let's say not a very positive period, and uh, and suddenly the trend co- was completely changed and the growth uh, started again and.
0: Um,
1: and uh,
3: to a such to such an extent that uh, a lot of uh, other com- many competitors decided to go back to discharge a lamp. Right. And uh, what year did sp- what year did ACT uh, take over distribution
0: in North America or in the US anyways? Uh,
3: this happened uh, immediately after the release of Sharpie. Oh, okay, I thought it was before Sharpie,
0: but yeah, let me
3: let me let me think. Yeah, because it i was i remember it was around the same time of the release of sharpie
0: i remember talking to bob gordon and uh, you know just poking at him how you know incredible his luck is uh you know between flying pig and then grand m a and yeah. then sharpie you know he just yeah. keeps walking into gold mines um but yeah sharpie was obviously a, a tremendous yes
3: Sharpie was a tremendous success, tremendous success. And I have to say that uh, uh, I have been really extremely lucky during my professional life because I've been, um, I've been experiencing the success of many, many important products starting from the Golden Scan and then the Super Scan, Mini Scan, and I would say Mac 600, Mac 2000, uh, Sharpie, now the BI, I mean, for a marketing guy having been the protagonist of such uh, such a success is 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 fantastic you know uh, sharpie was really is still really uh, a legendary product it will and will remain a legendary product yes. a lot of a lot of companies are still using Sharpies or Sharpie-like products well, around the world. Well, wait
0: one second before we get into that. So you mentioned that you've been extremely lucky being part of these huge product launches, et cetera. But with a company like Clay Packy um, in your position, how involved have you been in these products being conceived, launched, etc.? So I'm not saying, did you design the Sharpie? But I'm saying did you were you actively involved like most of us either as an account executive a ceo whatever it is we're bringing back ideas to our engineering team and saying you know we need like so did you have any involvement in that process
3: yes of course i did yeah yeah i did because you 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 have what the heck was that that was an interesting one (laughs) <laughs> when i first joined uh, the lighting industry I, I i didn't ex i really i didn't understand it at all anything yeah. about lighting right. I, I for me it was completely you know like like uh, foreign language you know and uh but i had to learn and very quickly at the, at the beginning when i at my first experience with clay Pacchi, i was the only salesman uh and, I was traveling around the world uh, together with Giovanni, my very good friend yes. who was helping me from the technical viewpoint to, 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 uh, to make the light works, you know, with, uh, with a console, but, uh, and we were the only two guys uh, who were collecting the feed market feedback so right. I had really to learn very quickly and I was uh, but I was structured enough to to understand the, por- the importance of bringing back to the company uh, right. well organized and well structured feedback yeah and um, so was and- it a was it a particular designer or a rental
0: company or somebody who said if only we had a tiny fixture with a small wattage lamp that did this incredibly bright beam or was that completely conceived in in
2: engineering the sharpie well well one other question one other question about that also you had manufactured a pin spot a pan and tilt pin spot that was similar in that effect right so did that evolve into the sharpie
3: it was called the pin scan it was called the the pin scan right and uh it was uh back in the time of uh it was the last product i have been uh, releasing when i was uh, the, my, in my first time in, with clay with clay Paki. and so mm, yes it was already the first moving head but it was really uh, the power was really uh, ridiculous it was not meant for for stage lighting application no but but again uh, yes i was coll- collecting as much feedback as possible as possible and i was really pick you know Packy at that time was was a small company and uh, and I was working uh, in the same in the same not office but in the same environment uh, as packy and we were talking uh, 20 times every day and uh, he was showing me what we what we was de- developing and so I I quickly learned uh, what was important uh, and I was also able to have a technical conversation with designers and the rental company uh, on a on a good technical level without going into too many details because it was not my my right. my specialty but i could understand what they meant yeah and um so i think i was initially i was not too much involved but i was helping but gradually i get i, I got more and more involved at the time of Martin, I was not really involved at right, all. I was right. more really, we had a lot of product managers taking care of this. So I was not involved, but I was uh, supporting the launch and the, and the sales of the product.
0: So the Sharpie came out and I'm, I'm guessing the that Sharpie changed The Sharpie came everything.
3: out, uh, I would say, as an accident. I wouldn't say it's an accident, but nearly. Uh, we were offered the the the, the, the lamp, uh, the platinum uh, I don't remember what, what is exactly the name, but 190 uh, watt platinum lamp uh, by Philips, but uh, Paki could not see the application. But once I went to LDI, and uh, I was uh, visiting, I was only uh, was visiting the exhibition, and uh, and I was I saw a, a beam of light uh, crossing the hall, you know, crossing yes. the hall and. And I asked myself, what is this this beam? And I I followed the beam, and I I found out that this beam was uh, the beam coming from a fixture that was uh, on the elation set. Okay. A tiny fixture that uh, was uh, meant for club application, I believe, and uh, something that uh, Eric Loader had have, had have, have developed uh, for on oh, no, without without uh, probably seeing the huge potential behind it so I I I told when I went back to to uh, to Italy I told I told tak taki uh, you have underestimated the potential of this uh, philip bulb you should look look, look at this bulb again and and try to to find out a way to make, to use it because it is really a very very powerful and and what Packy did was to not to listen at all to the recommendation that phillips was giving to the manufacturers about the optical optical group of, of the optics for this light right. he did exactly the opposite he did the uh, the opposite and and the, and the Sharpie came out wow. and, um, uh, and, uh, it was so powerful. You know, it was so concentrated. It was so solid. Yeah. Uh, really we immediately saw the huge potential that this fixture had, uh, had, uh, behind and unfortunately the technical, uh, design was so simple that it was impossible to patent anything. Right. And, um. And uh, so I would I say that uh, I don't remember the exact uh, quantity of Sharpie that Claypaki has produced uh, since, but we are probably talking about, uh, I don't remember, let's say 100,000 uh, right. fixtures. A huge number. But the number of Sharpie like fixtures that have been produced in the world is probably yeah. in the range of 1 million or yeah. Yeah. Example, yeah. even more.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and some of them were so bold that they were calling them Sharpie. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, absolutely, I mean, yeah. some of these Chinese, I saw so many copies of Sharpies that were called Sharpie or called Sharpie 2 or Sharpie X or Sharpie whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, so you guys created, you really created a genre. I mean, you created a, uh, uh, you know, a segment of the market that previously didn't exist, you know, that small yeah. beam light and you know really has become incredibly dominant since then so but i'm i'm thinking from a financial standpoint that light fixture alone changed clay packy
3: yeah Uh, yes we we well uh, the we we were producing thousands and thousands of these fixtures every 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 year you know many many thousands and it was uh, uh they they doubled we doubled our revenues in in very quickly very quickly right. and uh, uh, and uh, this allowed us to, to also to uh, to make other in the investment for other fixtures in other in other segments you know and uh, uh, to make the new the new uh, bi for instance was right. uh, another huge investment right so the company became more attractive for for a lot of international distributors and uh, you know, Becoming more attractive, brought more sales and uh, international visibility. Uh, we were specified in a lot of tours, of course, and uh, being riders uh, is very important, you know. Right. So, altogether, the Sharpie has really meant a lot uh, for yeah, Kentucky. It changed the face
0: of the company for sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, <clears throat> at what point did,
0: um, and, uh, you know, I know this is probably a sensitive question or whatever, but, did did Pasquale always dream of selling his company to a larger company, or you know? And and again, I'm not being insensitive, but you know, did he maybe get ill at one point, and and it was for family reasons that the company was sold? How did that come about?
3: Well, Paki was um, was always uh, thinking that sooner or later he would have sold his company to some to some other to some other multinational, uh, corporation. And uh, he had um, a date in mind. He was telling that he probably he would have sold the company in 2015. Really? This is, was his, wow. his deadline, you know? Yes. That's incredible. And, um, but, uh, and we had several, uh, people coming to clipak before, uh, uh before twenty fifteen and even before twenty fourteen. Uh I would say we have the people coming from from uh from Arman, uh people coming from Philips. Yeah. Uh they offered Paki to buy his company. Yeah. Uh, and uh every time he was meeting this he was very friendly, meaning, uh, these people, but, uh, every time who's telling them it's too early, it's too early. I, I'm not considering selling the company before 2015. Cause he'd already chosen the date. Yes. He had uh, already in mind a date and that's and the quite date, disciplined. You won't believe it. <laughs> that's quite disciplined. The date sure, was yeah. the date he had a leasing on his, on the building. Yeah. And the last installment was in 2015.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. And I don't know
3: why he had connected the two things together. You know, yeah, last installment for the building and the sales of, in the, the, selling the company, right? Uh, in this kind of things, he it was, it was really a little bit, uh, how to say, naive and very, very, yeah. very nice. Yeah. But, but sadly, uh, sadly, unfortunately, he, things yeah, things he, changed. He died right after, though, didn't he? Sorry, didn't he pass away shortly after? Uh, he passed away, uh, in, in, uh, yes, in 2014. Right. Oh, so
0: yeah, he even got before. ill. He,
3: he, he was, uh, he, he, got ill and, uh, and this uh, gave an acceleration to the, to the process. Right. Uh, and, uh, at the end, uh, he sold the company to the, com- to the, to Osram and, yes. uh, Osram was the, 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 the buyer. That he had in mind uh, since ever, really. Because yes, 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 yes. Ah. Because Paki really loved Osram. Osram has, bo- has been for Clay Paki not only a supplier, but a real partner, especially in early times. You know, for instance, if you sp- if you think if you think of the. A miniscan do you remember the miniscan, yes, you know? of course, the miniscan yeah. was using an osram hti 150 lamp which was developed for by osram for paki and then the he made the miniscan 300 which was using an hti 300 and that this 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 lamp was also developed by Osram for for, for packing for, for clay packing. Right. So he had really an admiration for for Osram, and um, so, he. So not uh, only he did he, s- he
0: choose the date, he chose the buyer as well. Yes, he had uh, already this buyer in mind. Yeah, he had this buyer in
3: mind, and when when uh, when the people from Osram came to to visit him and offered him to buy his company. He said, uh, he didn't say yes, but, uh, he was certainly thinking that this, this to say yes. And before accepting, he, he wanted to have other offers. But at the end, uh, he chose, uh, he, he chose, he, he chose Osram. Yeah. And, and, um, he signed, uh, the papers for the acquisition, um, just a few, a few weeks before passing away.
0: Oh my goodness, that's such a sad story. That is, <laughs> <Menace. laughs> yeah, that's a terrible wow. story. But I mean, yeah. it's it's such an honorable thing for his family and his employees, etc., to leave it so it's not in turmoil, but to you know button up the business, finish it up before he passed away. Um, you know, is is admirable. Yeah. So then your We've, life changed again. I'm sure. Sorry. Your life changed again
3: yes yes my and, life uh, had a uh, had a huge change at the time uh, because uh, Osram decided uh, to appoint me as a CEO of the company yeah uh, and uh, it was the October of uh, 2014 and uh, and I had to cover this to stay in that position until my retirement uh, so five years yeah. Uh, five uh, very long and very intense uh, years. Well, of, had you uh, ever worked for a public work.
0: company before?
3: Because Osram is public, right? Yes, I had. Because yeah. in fact, you uh, you have to consider that uh, Bishland was a public company. Right. Uh, Oh, and Martin. Uh, Martin, Martin of Professional course, yeah. was a public quoted company. Entergy was a public. company. Ah, of company. course, yeah. So it was not yeah. my first experience at all. Huh? But your
0: first experience as CEO of a public yes. company. Yes. yes.
3: Which is uh, which is a little bit different. Of very, course, very complicated. Very complicated.
0: I know so many people who have either taken a company public. Or joined a public company, and the amount of pressure and and responsibility that is completely not related to your customer base or to your product uh, is unbelievable. You know, now you work for the shareholders, and yep. constantly reporting to them, and constantly. So I understand. I mean, it's 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 a double edged sword. You know, it's an endless bank account, but yep. it's also um, you know it's it's a very different
3: role. And one that in my I, in I my role envy. as a sales and marketing uh, director, uh, which, which has been my key role in in a lot of companies, right? I was always thinking of creating value for customers. Yes. And my and as a CEO, you have to create value for the shareholders, isn't which is completely different job. Yeah, which isn't is a that completely very
0: different? different very very different and challenging. I mean, challenging because I'm a customer guy too. I love customers and and, you know, partners in the business and so I looked at taking a company co- public a couple of years ago, and that was one of the challenges I had, plus, you know, the crazy amount of reports and paperwork and yeah. meetings and board meetings and all of these things, yeah. you know, you don't end up doing your job anymore. You I, end up doing you, you, this other you, thing.
3: Your job is all about meetings. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that had to be a little bit challenging. Yes. But at the same
3: time, you know, he... He's... I have to say that I have, I have I enjoyed working for, for a public company. Normally, it is a fantastic... Opportunity to work for a public quoted company right. when business is going well.
0: Yes, yes.
3: Uh, because public quoted company uh, really want want growth, growth, yes. and uh, and uh, and if if the business is booming, if the business is developing very well, it, it, it's, it's a party. Yeah, they, it's a big party all the time. They give you resources. They give you the opportunity to acquisition, <laughs> yes. to invest, yeah. to to spend for, for, for the growth. You and know. then you have
0: a bad quarter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but when when things go bad, then really, not, yeah. not bad, when things are stagnating, yeah, even stagnation is not good enough. Even right. if you make money, even if you make profit, yeah. it's not enough for a public quarter company. Yeah,
0: because you missed but your target. It's all about growth. <laughs> yeah, It's
3: all about growth. Right, right. And yeah, no, in I our completely industry, understand. growth is not always possible, you know, because our industry is is for is a uh, product focused i mean if you if, if a product make the difference and if you, and it is not all possible always possible to have a successful product in our well but the know, industry he, the
0: industry has changed so much pio in that now many of the customers are either publicly owned or they are owned by private equity and so it seems like both the customers and the manufacturers now are more focused on the business end of the business. They're more, more focused on growth and profitability than they are on, you know, taking care of customers, I guess at yeah. some point. And so it's a change that we've definitely seen and we talk about a lot on this podcast because, you know, it, it is a very di- a different business and it's in some sense it's better, in some sense it's not as good. It's not as fun, it's not as rewarding, it's not as uh, because it's all about money and this is an industry that wasn't all about money you know it was about the art
3: it is true yeah yeah it is true this is uh this is uh, exactly uh, the key point uh yeah making working in 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 our industry today is not uh is not fun any longer it yeah. used to be a lot of fun yeah uh, very different. we were working hard huh? yeah. we was i have always been working extremely hard yeah. And, yeah. but it was uh the pleasure of uh, of uh, of being successful the pleasure yeah. of releasing a nice product the pleasure yeah. of, of seeing your customer happy yeah the pleasure of uh, seeing your your product used in a in a show this was really uh, uh, amazing well, and, and the and people
0: they- too the people like uh, you know i i always say that the characters are leaving this industry and i think you're one of the characters and you're not as flamboyant and and uh, maybe crazy like peter or hmm. uh, or didoro you know didoro was another to me like i miss that guy i really miss didoro <laughs> because <laughs> he he was so passionate and so crazy when it came to so many things in this industry yeah. Um, but as those people start to exit the business and public money and public entities come in, it's, it, it definitely takes away some of the fun and excitement of the industry. Um, but you know, I, we can't keep you here forever, we, we've already been two hours. So I yeah, got a I couple, a couple, I, I... couple more things I want to cover quickly before you leave off to ride your sailboat into the, into the yeah. sea or something, whatever you're doing today. But, um, the, this new laser fixture. That yeah. Clay Packy has Stilos. come up with. Please, yeah. please repeat that.
3: Stilos. Stilos.
0: Stilos. 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 Yes. Okay, so we because the spelling is crazy. So if you spelled this, then I hate you, PO, because the spelling is crazy. Uh, but so this fixture to me is very interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because some of the pictures and videos I'm seeing of the early. Jobs that it's been on, and one is the the um, I think it's Malpensa Airport or somewhere. Yeah,
3: no, Linata Airport. Ah, Linata, yeah, Linata. Yeah, yeah.
0: And yeah. Um, so that one, those pictures and videos are just like wow, amazing. Oh yeah. my god, you know. And they say this is from 300 meters. This is from 600 meters. Yeah. yeah. And just the definition and sharpness and color good, of yeah. those beams. It reminds me yeah. again of when the Sharpie came out, and yeah so it's like sharpie on steroids in a sense right
3: yeah so it is it is a sharpie which allows you to see colors you know if you if you look into pictures of shows it's probably the best way is to make this kind of of analysis if you look to the pictures of shows where sharpie and other beam light have been used yeah the nicest pictures the nicest images are showing beams in white light right but still allows you to to see the same quality of the beam in colors and this is the most important innovation yeah Uh, laser allows you to see the colors which is not the the white light is sometime uh, is not as good as you would expect. It is as good as the sharpie, yeah, but not as good as you would expect. But in from, color, it's
0: outrageous.
3: But the colors are unbeatable. Really yeah. fantastic. Yeah. this is the major innovation, and, it's and a, the major. And I would say, from the technical viewpoint, the most important innovation is that Klepaki and Ostrom together have made uh, the use of laser. Technology possible in show lighting, yeah. Without or let's say possible free, let's say free, because uh, you know that for the, the use of laser is 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 possible only if you have a patent and under certain condition because yeah, of, right. of 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 uh, safety reasons, But this fi- in this picture, the laser technology has been made has been tra- turned into normal lighting the source is there with all the benefits but the the all the safety aspects have been addressed and solved and uh, and finally we can use this powerful and unique uh, technology uh, in, in in normal regular stage shows. lighting so you don't need a variance with this fixture yes we need uh, we need some some variance but the the technology has been ad- Totally, uh, how would you say, put under control. So and it's now, safe. You, know, you can point one in someone's eyes the same way you
0: could a, a lighting fixture, and it's no different. Basically, it is the
3: same. It is the same. You have the same dangers or the same risk that you have with normal lighting fixture. With a sharpie pointed in yeah. your face, for, for, for even less. I would so say. it's probably
0: there's probably some lobbying going on where the variants could go away at some point on this fixture.
3: Osram and Kleipaki are working very hard with the FDA, FDA yeah. food and drug administration because you know the the use in Europe is already free huh? yeah yeah uh, right. you can use it free oh, in, in Europe in i didn't know that i did not uh, know in Asia. that
1: ah yeah yes it's That's already interesting. free
3: uh osram and Kleipaki are working with the food and drug administration in order to get the uh, how to say the uh, the permission and the uh all the needed Well, that's good to, that's good because yes, to me this yes. is an incredibly important
0: and interesting uh evolution of the beam fixture you know because it i mean the looks you're getting out of this thing is just like oh my yeah, god yeah the lucid
3: yes yeah i mean you you know that laser. the same technology is already used in in cinema huh? is a sim is a very similar technology i mean right all, all right. the cinema machine are now based on, on, a, on yes. a laser light source yes yes uh, that's of course true it is not exactly the same environment but right. uh, but the way the the shop the stylus has been developed and um, and and and, uh, and engineered make uh, make it very very reliable and very safe yeah and so, very powerful extremely powerful yeah Extreme. pio what are you up to now what what are you doing these days, and what are you planning? Well, to in do these days, and... I'm enjoying my first. Uh, it is my only my for the first month of uh, of retirement, and I'm still uh, trying to understand uh, <laughs> what the re- being retired uh, because you've worked uh, straight but... from
0: school, right? Like right out of yeah. college, you went to work, and you've been working ever since.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. yes yeah. I have been working. Uh, uh, 45 years, no, 45, uh, yeah, 45 years, yes. Wow. It's a long time. But, so did you,
0: know? you buy a sailboat or or are you going to come and tour the United States no, in an I RV? No,
3: I have a nice, <laughs> I have a nice holiday house in Tuscany and uh, this is what I'm going to enjoy the next, uh, in the next month. And of course, I want to have a lot of uh, traveling, but this time for pleasure because I've been all around the world in every single country, but always for business and always without the time of uh, visiting and enjoying uh, this what i want to do is exactly the opposite
0: good for you that is that is amazing and i i hope you are able to resist the coming back uh, yeah the (laughs) the the (laughs) thoughts and (laughs) desires of coming back to the business because you know you're a you're a very well-known guy you're a very smart guy uh you're a very good leader and I could see. Obviously, I, I'm assuming that you're going to have a period of non compete or whatever. But I assume no. I
3: don't have any period. Of yeah. No oh wow,
0: wow. Well, so let me call you back after it's the podcast. <laughs>
3: I'll
0: call you right back after Set the podcast. Yeah. Set yeah. yeah. Oh, no, Jesus. that's that's. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I hope that I you're. Have, able to I have resist.
3: a no compete close with my wife. Ah,
0: <laughs> if you take another job, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. No, that's that's good
0: for you. I mean, I I, uh, I really hope to see you again. Um, yeah. You know, I would hope, I, I would like to think that the last time I saw you isn't the last time I see you. Yeah, um, of course, of course. So I hope you to see you again at some
3: point. You can count on that.
0: Go on Facebook or something and and start telling the world what you're up to so that we can all follow <laughs> yeah. you and, and know that you're uh, having a, a great life. Um, so before we let you go, uh, is there anything that you would like to, uh, mention, announce, uh, you know, are there any charities or important educational things or anything that you've supported that you would like us to promote?
3: Well, you know, that Claypac has been supporting, um, uh, this charity for, I don't know, how it's always called today. It's, uh. uh I cannot remember. We'll so,
2: ask at LDI. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: At LDI, we have, we have, uh, we have made it. We have, we always made a donation, and uh, we will do it as CCR as well. So, I think that uh, it's important that the the industry support all the people in the, of the industry. Is it behind uh, the scenes? Behind the yes, scenes. behind the yeah, scenes, behind the scenes is a very good organization. It's like, yeah. Yes, a very very serious organization again. Yeah. So I'm still a supporter of this organization. Yes. And I believe that everybody should. Uh, it's important. It's it's uh, helpful. Yeah. And uh, we, well, when you are successful, you have to take care of people that are not successful in that time.
0: Well, I mean, and and also when you're talking about a legacy, it's not always what you what you got. It's what you give. And yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's giving back. It's educating people. It's you know, as a leader, you're you're only as good as the people you've brought up under you. And yep. um not necessarily how much money is in your bank account. So
3: Oh yes, of course, of yeah. course.
0: <laughs> and and I know in your case both are doing very well. <laughs> the, the bank account and the people you brought up underneath but, you. So uh, good for you, Keo.
3: Of course, yes. Well yes. we we appreciate you very Thank much. You so much. Thank you very much for we, the interview and for the time. Uh it was it has been very nice. Uh, likewise. I hope that the, that people will enjoy the, the
0: stories oh, uh, I'm, that they told. I'm positive they will. People many people have asked us to do this. Richard Bellevue asked us to do this. Fausto Fausto <laughs> called me uh, I don't know, a month ago and said, Why haven't you had PO yet? and i said yeah that's a good question so uh we do appreciate you doing it i know uh your wife is probably waiting for you to uh, do something right (laughs) now so tell her we said hello and thank you thank Thank you very much thank Thank you to everybody enjoy yourself ciao